A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is episode 74 with Britt Heisen. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast. Where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxy. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have with me Britt Heisen, and she's the editor-in-chief of Millennial Magazine. She designed this magazine to represent the true millennial, the entrepreneurial geek that likes to hug trees and dance till sunrise. Wait, that's you, Britt. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome Thank to the you, show, Teo. <laughs> Good to no. be with you. And yes, I love hugging trees, and I haven't really seen a sunrise in a long time, but... Uh, you know, I'm always good for, for that. <laughs> wait, so why haven't you seen the sunrise? Where have you been? Um, well, you know, I just, I love either waking up really early and watching the sunrise or partying all night long. And when you see the sunrise after a really long night of partying, you just appreciate it that much more. <laughs> that's actually, that's actually very, very true. I couldn't even agree with you more. <laughs> so, so, Although those are kind of rare these days, so. I can imagine, because, you know, you're obviously doing a lot of work. You were talking earlier about some of the stuff yeah. you're doing and the traveling you've been doing, so I can imagine. Um... It's, uh, you know, it's a little hard to do that. But I'm really excited about this conversation because, I you know, I, I followed your magazine on Twitter and I, I dug deeper and I looked at some of the things you're doing and, it, and it's, you know, you offer fresh perspective on international culture, which is what we do. And what you do is you, you guys hand select, you know, editorial people, you pick out celebrities and entrepreneurs and people who actually represent the millennial culture. And I'm curious as to why you started doing that and what your background um, was that led you to doing this? Well, it's interesting. My background has nothing to do with journalism. Um, I guess in the last five years, I created my own journalist career. But prior to that, I was an actor. I was mm. on Mad Men for two seasons. I did a few other shows. And at, I got to a point where it just wasn't fulfilling anymore. And I wanted to do something else. And it was 2010. And millennials were at a huge unemployment deficit and you know we were we were hurting and yet I was surrounded by these artists that somehow made a living doing what they loved and it was at that point that I realized that we were starting to form our own identity as a generation and more people were starting businesses and I needed to tell that story so I picked up a microphone I started interviewing people and the rest is history 
I, um, you know, created my own journalism career without ever taking, um, I did take a few journalism classes, but I never majored in journalism. I was a business major and I ended up getting into CNBC as the millennial reporter and, um, you know, was working with their reporters on finding the, the millennial disruptors. And that really opened up my eyes into big business and how millennials are really shifting culture with technology businesses these days. So I wanted to create a magazine that really showcased that. Now, it's so funny that you say that because I also didn't have a journalism background. And then it, you say you picked up a microphone. I did the same thing with a podcast before it became something else. And nice. then it, it was um, exactly what you're saying because I guess I got frustrated when I when I grew up everywhere because I because uh, my dad's job we kind of had to move everywhere. When I got frustrated with the fact that people kept um, putting up barriers with what was different about us, you know. So mm -hmm. the, the the millennials are the most diverse generation. A lot of times people say the most understood, but a lot of times one of the reasons I saw that was because they never, you know, there was never that that bridge to really connect each people across different continents. And I really wanted to really showcase what each millennials were, each millennial on different continents were doing. And then it ended up being this interesting journey where you would go and you start to see the entrepreneurial spirit and the, and the fact that millennials were so passionate about making an impact, but sometimes they just didn't have an avenue or people that they knew that they could look up to. So when your magazine came up, and there's another one called The Real uh, by Ocean Pleasant um, that does similar things, it, it was always interesting to me to see how both of you were able to, to highlight and showcase some of the the influencers in the millennial space who are actually you know doing iconic things um, and and making sure that there are positive messages being spread. What was something that you noticed as you started to get more involved in uh, journalism, so to speak, and interviewing yeah. some of these people? You hit it on the head when you said that we're a really diverse generation, and it's not just diverse in um, you know cultures, ethnicities, oh, yeah. ethnicities, or even backgrounds, it's more so about the renaissance that exists right now. We are diverse in profession, we're diverse in skill set, and really outlook on life right now. Um, and I think that is what's most fascinating about what I do and the people that I discover is that, you know, <laughs> we had this one girl, Ocean Ramsey, she was a billabong model and yet she's a shark whisperer. She rides on the fins of great uh, white sharks, which is unreal. But then you also have you know, somebody that could be a doctor as well as a musician, as well as a, a you know, painter or whatever. I mean, like there, there's everybody's a jack of all trades these days because we have the resources at our disposal through the internet. Yeah, no, and it's so true. And I love that you pointed out that that verse doesn't have anything to necessarily. I mean, it does have to some degree to do with pigmentation, but that's not what I'm what we're talking about. When we talk about that. It's the mindset. It's the opinions. Mm -hmm. It's the fresh perspectives that that brings. And what the digital revolution that we have here, we live in right now, it, what it does is that it, it equalizes the playing field where it gives you access to many of the same things that other people have access to. And this wasn't possible 15, 20 years ago. Right. You're absolutely right. And yeah. it's just we, we live in a really amazing time. And to be honest, that word millennial no longer really represents just a demographic. I'm really trying to make an impact in it turning into a lifestyle. Mm. And I want to attract those that are hardworking, eco-friendly, civically engaged, experience driven, technologically savvy, health oriented. I mean, and just generally having a mindful attitude towards humanity. I think that kind of characterizes anybody it doesn't matter what age you are, if you fit into those specific characteristics, I think you can be a millennial. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a movement. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life and uh, it's a way of thinking. Um, yeah. 
this notion that millennials are um, the um, the most entitled generation. That's something <laughs> I hear a lot. What, what do you feel about that? I think every generation has their entitled mentality. You know, I, I think you're going to have slackers in every generation. I think you're going to have those that, like you said, feel entitled. I don't think it's uh, necessarily limiting to the millennial generation, although you know they they exist. Yeah. <laughs> so you basically you're saying it's not just something that's uh, that's you know the millennial generation um, that happens in the millennial generation it happens to Gen Xers, Gen and Gen. Yeah, I think it's I think it's boomers. across the board. I don't think it has any limitation to a particular um, generation. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to to your journey. You picked up the microphone, right? And then you decided to start, you know, interviewing people and covering people. What? How has Millennial Magazine evolved since then? You know, what was <laughs> what were some of those early days? Because there are many people that I that I bring on the show, and uh, obviously I share this with you. And I don't know if it's accidentally building the media company, but sort of just stumbling on it. But the many people are always curious about how they can build their own platform, and I always tell them that it's like we were talking about the digital revolution. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier now than it was before. So I want to know what your story was because I've had certain bumps and bruises, but yeah, they actually definitely. helped me to get here. So yeah, oh. let me just say that it was a five-year in the making process. So you know, I started in 2010 as a journalist. I declared myself as a generational journalists, where I was specifically targeting people between the ages of 20 and 30 that were making a living doing what they love. That was my beat. That kind of turned into a, um, a web series, and it was a evolving web series where I just kept building those stories, and then that turned into a blogging platform, and I ended up getting a bunch of international voices to come on and speak about solutions. And then, you know, at the same time, while I was running the blogging platform, I was also working as a freelance journalist, and that's when I was working with CNBC. And at that point, I realized that I needed to turn the blogging platform into more of a refined magazine. And I was actually the first person, and I think I still may be the first person to transcend a digital or transcend a traditional cover onto a digital platform. So when I did that, I classified it as a full-on digital magazine. And, you know, it's not easy at all. It takes so much work. I don't get weekends. I work my ass off. It's totally on the go. It's stressful. It's challenging. And yet at the same time, it's incredibly rewarding. The people that I'm meeting, the experiences that I have, the doors that I've opened for myself um, it is really a result of the hard work. Nothing happens overnight. I cannot stress that enough, nor can those that have come before us. It is such an arduous process. And if you're crazy enough to stay in it, you will ultimately win out. <laughs> no, that's that's such a it's such an interesting story you explained because it's never one that the plan is laid out, especially when when you're trying to build a business and something, a lot of what happens is that you discover what you're good at uh, the more the, with the more um, um, you know time you put into the business. So maybe exactly. when you first started, you thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you talked about it was a web series, it was this, it was that, but you were able to pivot each time. And that was the most important thing. You were able to adapt to the times yeah. um, as opposed to staying um, you know, put with one particular way. And then you said you you were the first person to transition from, you know, the physical to digital. And that's obviously been key because some of the other, you know, journalistic companies that failed to do that, they are obviously now that they're, they're left behind, right? Well, I don't necessarily think that they're left behind, but I do think that <clears throat> it's strange that the cover has not made it onto the digital platform. And, you know, it's funny because people think that we're a print magazine because we have a cover. And that's just not the case. Like, we're a completely digital platform. 
Um, and the other thing too is that that word magazine is actually starting to lose its, um, I guess it's identity. It's no longer a magazine. Everything is a brand. So that's also a really interesting thing too. Like the fact that our name is Millennial Magazine is really just a brand and um, we're a complete lifestyle overhaul. You know, we have video, we're getting into podcasts, we do events, you know, there's a whole on and offline component to our brand. Okay, so no, um, that's key, you said that. So you're doing video, podcasts, getting into events. Has there been any event recently that you've done um, that sort of make this sort of full circle type of uh, movement type of thing? Well, we have a lot in the works right now. We're actually getting involved with a really cool uh, festival that's going to be happening in Hawaii this August. It's called the IL-9 Festival, and it's a Berlin group, a German deep house Berlin group that's bringing their open-air festival to Hawaii for the first year. And we somehow got connected through SoundCloud. I'm a huge German Deep House fan. Mm. And uh, when I just kept reposting some of the, the tracks from some of the artists that I follow, um, what the festival organizer reached out to me, and we ended up finding a, a commonality between this festival. And she asked if you know I would be willing to get involved. And I also asked if I could get involved. And it was kind of a great synergy in that capacity. And you know that's going to be 3,500 people that are really connecting with not only music and each other, but the earth. And and that's also what's really important to us is a, a huge environmental push. You know, do we want to live in a clean house or do we want to live in a dirty house? And right now, our house is filthy. Our planet is not being taken care of, and I think it's really important to to drive that message home that it's about personal responsibility. It's nobody else's job but yours to clean up after yourself, and when you see trash, pick it up. Mm. No, gotcha. Now, you said you're not like you're not in a sexy magazine in the traditional sense of the world. Is there how many issues would you say you've had, or do you do issues, or is it just like yeah, we do we do weekly issues. Um, we're at. Uh, I think next week is 39. So we took a, a couple breaks <laughs> in between to kind of reassess our content. But um, yeah, we'll be ending volume one with 40 issues. And wow. we're starting volume two with uh, Glass Animals. Gotcha, gotcha. And out of this, in all these issues, which has been the most interesting story and which has been the most impactful story for you? Oh, gosh, it's so tough. I mean, you meet 40 amazing people that are just on the cover alone. I mean, like, we've had amazing stories through our news and culture and profile sections as well. But um, one of the the most impacting stories, I think, was um, Stephanie Horpacheski, who is the CEO of Style Hall. It's the number one YouTube channel for, or I guess the multi-channel network for style and beauty. So she runs over 5,000 channels. <laughs> she recently sold her company for $107 million and became the first woman in Hollywood history to exit a company at that amount. So she holds the record for the highest exit. And learning from her and her business strategy and how she got to where she is today in, in less than four years was really amazing. You have to read the story to understand the details because there's just so much that went into it. And I mean, she talks about those sleepless nights. That's what goes into this, you know, and it was just really reassuring to hear that if you you just put in the work, you keep doing it, you get direction, you get support, you have you build your team and you figure out where the money is going to come from. You can do anything. No, okay. No, I love it. And and dude, this is so key when you're talking to you mentioned millennials and you, and you look at some of the ways that, that that some of the ways that people have had success in the past few years. You have like people like Michelle Fawn, for example, you know, from mm-hmm. YouTube. People mm-hmm. from um um like King Back from Vine and mm-hmm. or Instagram. And all these people they have somehow used some of these social media apps to create a a path for themselves by 
um, accentuating or elaborating on skills that they have. And yeah. if you go, if you dive into some of these stories, and when I you know read their stories or hear them in interviews, it's like you said, it's it's it looks like an overnight success, but it's 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 hours and hours of hard work and honing their craft. Well, what's interesting about those people that you mentioned is that they were early adapters and adopters of those platforms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the fact that they got in early gave them a real big lead advantage um, just because they were able to kind of set the precedence and and be the first people to kind of be seen there. And then you carved out a niche for yourself. Yep. I'm always fascinated by those that have millions of fans on Instagram or YouTube or, you know, any of those digital platforms where, you know, you're just like, how did they do that? How did they get that many fans? That doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> what did they do? What kind of magic can they sprinkle onto me? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is, though, the thing that I wanted to point out is that they stay consistent. I know I know they were early adapters with, with um, especially uh, King, uh, King Back with, with uh, Vine, but they, they, if you look back at some of the stories they had, they, they, almost, they stay consistent with, they, yep. they basically knew what they wanted to do. And obviously, it, it could be like what you were saying. They shifted and adopted. They saw that this was funny and this was not funnier. But um, there's something to be said about being ten- tenacious, consistent, and hardworking enough where you continue to consistently pump out content. Um, sometimes it's it's like the hockey stick projection. Like it stays flat, 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 and all of a sudden, boom. You know, yeah. it goes up there. Um, Definitely. And, and you're right. Consistency is everything, especially on those platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're someone that's been a testament of that. And like you said, it's five years in the making and look at the stuff that's happened mm-hmm. to you right now. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> when did you first realize the profit and become self-sustaining? Self-sustaining. Um, well, you know, I, I actually bootstrapped this uh, up until today. It's still, I'm still bootstrapping. Um, we did start to sell advertising this year, though, and that was really exciting. Um, that kind of gave us our, our second win. Um, but, you know, it's been it's been a struggle. Like, I, I've done a ton of freelancing work to try and just keep this going. And um, it's not easy, but we're, you know, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're actually getting ready to raise a round. And that is really exciting to me because I've built so much on so little. No, I love that because you, you st- the, there's always this, this journey with entrepreneurs where they go, okay, I got to find investors, got to find investors. And you did it for five years before you actually decided to yeah. raise that first round. And um, bootstrapping, completely identify with you. I know exactly mm-hmm. what it is when, when you know you have to you move around some finances to make sure that this this goes into this or this this newsletter goes there or that goes there or and the, the art of freelancing, really doing a lot of stuff for free, you know, in order to build your brand and gain gain awareness, is oh, is man. so yeah. Etsy man is yeah. like oh, <laughs> it's it's so it's that, so it's time. <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of time and it's so exhausting, but then it's rewarding if you yeah. stay consistent enough. And it doesn't sometimes feel like that. Um, and that's something I like to to hone in on sometimes because it feels like a lot of times you're doing a lot of free work for no return. You're giving people content, and then it's not really it's not translating to like a substantial increase in your audience, but then, you know, well, that's where I actually realized that that uh, I needed to up the ante on the, the people that I was doing coverage on. And that's why I decided to go after celebrity. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And go after CEOs because they have huge um, infrastructures. And so they're influencers in themselves. And that became my, my strategy in getting us out there. That was kind of our free marketing. You know, I would do the content. Obviously, that would be free on my end. But you know, that, that sweat equity would be returned in the shares that they would get on those posts. Yep, yep. They bring you the people and you give them, um, you know, you give them a chance to talk about what they're doing and their exposure as well. Yeah. So it's good. It's good. So what's your ideal target customer? I heard you say 20 to 30 earlier, but is that still what it is? Um, well, you know, the millennial generation as a group is getting older and it's so interesting. A lot of people just think that it's going to be the cyclical group of 20 to 30 year olds and it's just not like five years ago, it was 18 to 35. Why are we still calling it 18 to 35 five years later? It's technically 20 to 40, you know, technically 25 to 40. So our prime demo at this point is 25 to 35. And really, like I said, it's a lifestyle. So anybody who identifies with being eco-friendly, civically engaged, you know, entrepreneurial in mindset and um, health conscious and technologically savvy identifies with our brand. No, yeah, you're so right about the way the classify. I mean, so sometimes I think it's just easier to put the years. If you want to say 2018 and 35, I'll say you could say 1980. <laughs> but um but yeah no i think even the generation behind us the gen xers my i mean youngest brother is one and um some of the stuff he talks about it it's, it's really amazing because some of these people were born not knowing what you know life was like before ipads right that. and that's and the that, thing like yeah. we are that transition generation yeah. from analog to digital and i grew up you know playing outside and i didn't get a cell phone until you know mid high school so you know i i do really like the fact that we did have that understanding of life before technology in technology in the sense of where it really consumes our lives like i was in computer class in kindergarten so i can't say that i never saw a computer before the age of 10 or something but um yeah it's really it's really interesting how you know we are getting older and i don't really identify with those that are you know 16 to 24 right now even i mean 24 i think you could still get away with but it's like you know, I'm not a Snapchatter. I, I probably should be, but you know, I, I look at snaps and stuff, but I don't feel the need to always snap things. And mm. yet, that is something that really drives a lot of uh, people under the age of 21. Yeah, you know, I and mean, speaking of stuff like Snapchat, it's it's like you said. You know, you were saying you probably should be and stuff like that. And that's a thought that's always going to happen to us sometimes, is because you're starting to see how brands and people are taking advantage of these. Um, <laughs> ephemeral things where it's like okay for five seconds i can take your attention and do this and then i was on snapchat the other day like yeah, i consume it more than i use it mm -hmm. and i saw that you know cnn and people and brands are just they they use it creatively to, to say hey this is the summary of the day this is the story of this this is a concert that we covered well then, the thing about that is that these brands are really at a loss on how to connect with our generation mm -hmm. and our generation spans from you know i i guess they 
they classify generational, you know, sex, sex as like, you know, 12 to 40. And that's a really huge span. It's very big. <laughs> it's really big. It's really big. But, you know, the, the prime buyers are, you know, probably 30, to be honest. Like people in their 20s don't have that much money, especially with the uh, unemployment rate still being really low. Even mm-hmm. though they say it's 5.9%, it's not. Like 92% or 92 million people dropped out of the workforce, so they're not even counting a third of the population. Um, but, you know, like I don't believe that the 20 year olds have a lot of money to, to really purchase things. So these brands are kind of, they're trying to get this identity out there. They're trying to figure out how to reach them. And they're going to every platform trying to do what they think they're supposed to do. And uh, in essence, they're just supposed to ask us, you know, and like they're creating, they're supposed to create a, a human sense to who they are in a way that makes us feel like they're actually adding value to our life instead of pushing product it's funny you say that because i was on, i was on a, a show yesterday and i, I was talking someone asked me what's the best way to reach out to millennials and i'm saying i told them you, you've got to be able to show that they're value you have to you have, you have to be able to communicate to them in, in an authentic way that they believe they add in value to the life um and in whatever way that is and it's not um some ad spend campaign or it's not anything it's if you can if they can relate to you and see that something you're doing is something that's going to add value to you well and that's where the experience really comes yeah. into play you know everybody is looking for something to post on instagram looking to snap looking to tweet about looking to just show how either impressive they are or how much fun they're having or whatever the case may be um you know and that's where brands really come into play is is creating those experience driven events for us, you know, something that we do feel the need to want to tweet about and, and share on all of our social platforms. So experiential, experiential is what you said. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, experiential. experiential events, experiential advertising, everything has to drive in experience because that's what people are looking for these days, you know, and I think more so as, as we become really um, dependent on our technology, we need to also really connect with each other in an in-person medium. So, you know, that's why events are really important because it gets people to talk to each other face-to-face in the flesh <laughs> and we can take pictures together. So, mm. you know, everyone's looking for that. Gotcha. Now, is there, um, we, we were talking earlier and you were talking about um, the study abroad um, program that you're working on. Do you yeah. want to talk more about that? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting, um, within four months of Millennial being out on the, uh, you know, out on the web, we were recognized by the White House as one of the most influential digital media sites for Millennials, and we were invited to the White House to attend a study abroad summit. It was, it was kind of a travel summit, but it was the celebration of the fact that they were opening up an office dedicated towards study abroad. The problem with American students right now is that only 1% of college kids are actually studying abroad. And there was a panel that was speaking about how uh, the global workforce in general needs to have an understanding outside of their country. They need to know how the global economy works. And these employers are saying that they'd much rather hire somebody who has global experience over somebody who doesn't. And that's where study abroad came into play. And the fact that the number was only 1% was really scary. So what's interesting is that at that same time that I was learning about studying abroad, I was contacted by the MIT of Asia to promote their study abroad programs regarding STEM. The MIT of Asia is is pretty much the equivalent of the MIT here in America. They are very engineer-driven and technology-driven. So they invited us to come out to the Philippines to check out their study abroad programs and the life of an international student who would live there. And it was so much fun. It was incredible. And 
you know, like not only was I able to experience a Southeast Asian country and really understand the diverse culture that, you know, exists there. But I, I walked away with just this deeper understanding of myself, like so much more gratitude for the life that I live mm-hmm. and, um, and a lot of really cool friends. And, and now I can say I have insight into that particular country in Asia. Yep. That's something that we're trying to promote to the kids here. It doesn't even matter if you're 18 to 25 or if you're 30 or 35 or even 40, everyone can go back to school. And what's great about Mapua, the Mapua Institute of Technology, is that when you study there, they also give you options to study at their partner schools and and um, companies that also feed their students with um, on-the-job training. And these these companies are in 19 different countries. So if you study in the Philippines for one semester, they'll send you to Sweden for another semester. They'll send you to all sorts of other places as well. No, you know. I was I was trying not to hold back my laughter here because that's exactly what UID was formed. Um, I'm that you know that individual who, because of my dad's job, I had to travel. So I lived in four different continents and five different countries. Mm-hmm. And um, like you, I'm I'm your I'm the same age as you are. But what happened was um, as I started to grow up and realize w- what the potential of with with the digital media we have and the, the perspective that the, the the mindset of a nomad gives us, I really wanted to put that mindset in everywhere. You know, I wanted, I wanted millennials to be able to understand what it's like to actually understand what it's like to actually live in someone else's culture and how that can impact uh, a workforce, how that can, that can impact innovation in your, in your business and how that can impact conflict resolution as it comes to people from different cultures. So we're really focused on, on people using their difference to make a difference. And, and uh, what yeah. we realized was it's very pertinent to the millennial generation. And the reason why we focus on millennial generation and younger is because we are the next set of global leaders, and in many places, we are the leaders right now. And if we don't yeah. understand the global landscape and what the world is like, we are in for a world of world of trouble. I mean, you talked yeah. about you talked about some of the environmental problems, but there's so many other problems as well. See, so oh. environmental problems, oh. you got the political problems, you got the other things. And if if we are not cognizant of what it is truly like, it's going to be almost like night and day where we're like, wait, what do you mean? What are we doing? What are we doing? And these yeah. type of things have so many implications. So I was so excited when you, you really talked about what the MIT of Asia is trying to do. And I, I, I think it's, you know, if we can get to a point where we're connecting with other people and realizing that tweeting from um, Japan to, to uh, Canada is, is, is not uh, an equivalent for understanding what Japanese culture and uh, yeah. Canadian culture is. I think well, here's we'll, the thing. we'll get it, there. You know, it's, yeah, absolutely. And what's really interesting is that Americans like to think that millennials are 80 million strong, period. And that's not true. We're 2.5 billion in the world. In the oh, yeah. Philippines alone, millennial generation represents 50% of the country. So, you know, we are we are an abundant group. It is not just our country that has millennials. It's the world that, you know, raised children during this digital revolution age to where we're all kind of on the same playing field right now. And that's something that is really interesting when you look at it in terms of economic standards, because we're going through this inside out motion right now. Um, a lot of Americans don't really think that there are opportunities, work opportunities outside of the States, and that's just not the case. There are so many work opportunities outside that, you know, as these HB1 visas, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's there's something yep. in the States called the HB1 visa. Yeah, the H1B. You know, yeah, the H1B. I'm, I'm, I have to go through that because I'm Nigerian, but yeah, it was the H1B. Oh, interesting. Visa. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so we're getting an influx of um, foreign students as well as foreign professionals coming to the States to work here, and at the same time, 
you know, Americans should realize that they have opportunities abroad as well. So as people are coming into the country, I think more Americans need to kind of go out of the country. No, absolutely. I love it. And, and um, you were talking and about... There's this general pulse on the earth, that, you know, <laughs> this inside-out breathing motion. <laughs> cross-cultural, right? It's not yeah. just one way, one way. Cross-cultural. So I, I love, um, I'm glad that we're on the same page with that, and, and I, I think it's so key, and I think it the fact that we are innately diverse is obviously going to take even more... It's going to make more of an impact if we really explore this curiosity that we have in, in within us by going back and forth. Um, but it, you know, it'll be great, and I, and I think what you're doing is one of the best ways to to promote that vehicle. A lot of us consume digital media, and you guys are at the forefront of being digitally savvy. So that's 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 great that you do that. Yeah. Now, thank you. No, oh, hey, my pleasure. So, Britt, you started off as an actress, is that correct? It is, yes. Oh, tell me, tell me, tell me, how was that? <laughs> <laughs> how was that? I, I love, oh my I love gosh. You know, it's so funny. Like it, it seems so long ago. Um, it was, I guess, six years since my last job. But um, yeah, you know, in my entire life, I wanted to be an actor. I grew up in LA. My parents worked in the industry, and they told me that I couldn't get into the industry until I was eighteen. So at eighteen, I ended up booking my first audition, and that spoiled me rotten. I thought that it was way too easy, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I got all the these jobs in a very quick amount of time and then it kind of it got tougher because I was starting to audition with girls who had 10 years experience on me and I had you know like two or three years and um, you know it just started to get kind of tough and it was at the time that YouTube was starting to take over and when you're an actor in Hollywood especially in 2009 like YouTube was a joke it was like no way am I gonna be on YouTube like that's such a low production like you're not gonna make any money on YouTube and then I went to a conference, a uh, television conference, and the president of Discovery Channel said, if you're not on YouTube, you're an idiot. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, oh, my God, I need to get on YouTube. And that's when I just decided, you know what? How do I do it? How do I get onto YouTube? And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pick up a microphone and start interviewing people that I know that I think are really awesome and uh, see what happens. No, I and love it. what happened. <laughs> and this is what happened. You, you've created a movement. I love it. I just wanted to, to harp on that because... Some of the, the, you know, entertainers and actors and, uh, and actresses that I've had on the show, it's been interesting what they've said about their journey, as, especially as they go to social, impactful um, social yeah. things. Some of them stay in the industry and they, they realize that they have that platform and they use that to, to reach more people. Some of them had the epiphany on the job. Some of them, it was the, the other way around where they, they left it because they followed something else. So it's I'm well, always curious. About- yeah, and the thing about the entertainment industry and especially acting is like you can't just be uh, an actor. You have to be a writer, you have to be a director, you have to be a producer. You have to really understand all facets that go into content creation. And if you don't, you do yourself a disservice because you're just waiting around for the phone to ring. You have to make that phone ring. And that's a lesson that I learned in 2009, and that's why I decided to become a journalist, is because I wanted to make the phone ring. Nope, and you obviously did. And you. The- we're almost done here, but the thing that I really wanted to, the reason why I was really attracted to what you were doing is because you made your opportunity happen, and that's the yeah. thing that I uh, that that we I feel like as a generation and movement are very very able to do, and sometimes we don't utilize as much as we can. It's it's you can be your own media company. I say this all the time, and it's mm-hmm. it's not necessarily going to be all roses and bed, you know bed and roses like we've both you know elaborated on but it, it's it's you know it's like it could be that starting that youtube channel starting that blog yeah. and that that blog gets enough of following that you make sense to even make a more multimedia friendly site and that yeah. goes on but 
what happens is when you build enough of a community you start to get more attractive to other people because everybody, like you were just saying, brands are scrambling at different ways to reach out to the millennial organization and they're spending money and ads on all this because they're, they're they're thinking is they want customer lifetime value. You know, they want to be able to have someone early and have that them be loyal for a long time. But right. if you if you build that relationship with the community for a long time and they listen to you and you're an authority on that, you're inexpen you're, you're expendable to them. Where I mean, I mean, you're you're such a valuable resource where they can say, hey, well, you have an audience of fifty thousand people that listen to you every week or every month, and you know, we've been trying for years to reach that audience, and you have the ideal target market. How can we work with you? And yeah, it's that, exactly. that way. So it's good. Yeah, people right. are becoming their own influencers, and and that's really special. It, I don't think we've ever had a time when the average person can become an influencer. I love it, love it. So as we wrap up here, we always like to ask our guests uh, how they use their difference to make a difference. That's the theme of the of, mm. the, of, the, uh, <laughs> of the platform. So I love it. Um, uh, how I used my difference to make a difference. Um, you know, I've always really been authentic and true to myself, and that's kind of been a um, boisterous, bossy girl. <laughs> but, it's, but it's always kind of been, it's always had direction and I've always had heart. And I actually, I covered um, Occupy LA and in the process of covering it, I came up with this slogan, Occupy Your Heart. And that was something that I really, really stuck to. And I think that's kind of what I do. I use my heart to make a difference. So, you know, my difference is that when I go on hikes, I pick up trash. And when I, you know, um, am out in the world, like I like to smile at people. So, you know, my difference is really just uh, one of, of genuine heart and humility and happiness. And that kind of just drives me to inspire others to live that way. Love it. Love it. And, uh, you know, what you just said is you've been authentic and you're and that that's enough. And a lot of people don't realize that's it's a lot braver than people say. People always say be authentic, but <laughs> the, it's not as easy as many people yeah. do because a lot of times people always you know strive to be someone else. And I yeah, think, and especially in this digital world when we see everybody living a life that we kind of want and we mm -hmm. kind of want to fit into. You know, I, I think that uh, I love that you're saying. You know, what is that difference that makes you make a difference? And um, you know, to each their own. Uh, you'll find it. You know, you gotta. You just got to keep living. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, thank you so much, Britt, for being on the show. It's been a, a true honor and a pleasure. And thank you for taking the time. I know you have a very busy schedule. So yes, I, I appreciate it, Teo. And uh, to all the listeners, please be sure to check out MillennialMagazine.com. MillennialMagazine.com. And on Twitter, it's? Uh, Millennial Mags Millennial with a Mags. Z. Millennial Mags. Yeah. All right. I'll put that on the show notes to make sure we can get more people on your site. And uh, more. hopefully we get the attention of more people who could actually uh, spread the word and everything yeah. like that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.